Boy, the music has been sweet this morning. Amen. I, I tell you what, I have enjoyed this music. And I look up here and I see these young guys with these instruments, and I realize I'm about two to three years older than these guys, and <laughs> except Jeff Scott. And, uh, and then the best pianist in Knox County. Amen. I just, I just love this girl. And I tell you what, uh, uh, I think Isaac probably has a smile on his face when he's sleeping. I mean, this guy smiles all the time, amen? It's a great, great day to be in the house of the Lord, but I was watching these young men. I thought, you know, Lord, I remember when I was at the age, and he says, no, you don't. And, uh, but, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I was preaching at a conference, and uh, I remember a little boy came up because I had mentioned that it was the weekend of my birthday, and... I turned uh, 68 years old, and uh, uh, I know you're doing your math. Uh, that makes him two more years. Okay. <laughs> but this little boy said, hey, preacher, he said, uh, to, this is my birthday, too. And I said, well, how old are you? And he said, I am four. And he says, how old are you? And I said, I'm 68. I said, I bet I don't look like it. And he said, you probably used to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, out of the mouths of babes, amen, <laughs> you know. It's a joy today to be able to preach here. I, I love Pastor Sam with all my heart. He's been my friend for only preacher in uh, two counties that ever called me when I came to town back in 1988, and I have endured that phone call and uh, been a part of this church now for, oh, 15 plus years, and I've had the privilege to work with all these good staff people for the last 18 months, and uh, just a thrill, so many of them, and then Al Cage, my friend, I've been able to work in his department, and how many of you love Al? Let me take an inventory. Okay, and uh, how many of you lying? Could I see that? All right, how many of you don't love Al? Okay. Okay, Terry, uh, father-in-law. Charlene, let's see who else, okay, Lisa, Cindy, and Leanne, okay, all right, an honest congregation this morning, wonderful man of God, he's my buddy, hey, take your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter number 13, Matthew uh, chapter number 13, this morning uh, Al has read that portion of scripture to kind of start off some of our worship service. But I, I wish to really kind of address a subject that's been on my heart for quite some time and has become very endeared to me in recent weeks. But I believe that Matthew chapter 13 really is a very crucial chapter in God's Word because it's a chapter that every believer should seek to understand. It's, it's dealing with the rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ. It's beginning to reach its peak. The Lord Jesus is uh, sensing that Israel is, is uh, rejecting uh, his uh, message, and now he is opening up his message to all that will come to him, and he begins to preach in a parabolic uh, form, meaning that it's parables which suggest that it's a, it's a earthly story that has a, a heavenly rendering or a heavenly meaning in this case. And I believe that the condition of the hearts of the people of that day uh, made it uh, necessary for Christ to, to use these parables. And so he's using the parables as a wedge to open up their hard, cold, dull hearts 
against who he was and what the Word of God had to say. My sweet wife, uh, Pat, um, it, I had to pause there and it made it sound like I had more than one wife. Okay, My sweet wife, Pat. Okay, that sounds, that sounds better. But her and I have had the privilege for many years to, uh, we were missionaries out of uh, West Park, as you know, and and up until 2007, we were working in Vietnam and, and, and in China. And uh, the blessings of, of much of that work was to, and when you work with underground churches, the persecuted uh, people, uh, meaning they're persecuted by that of the government that opposes God's word, they oppose organized religion. Uh, but the blessing of that was to see the conditions of so many of those believers. Because, my friend, listen to me. They, paid an all, they pay an awesome price for their belief. They pay an awesome price for the Bible that you hold in your hand. And they have such an eagerness. They have such a determination to live for the Lord. And in the years that we did that, we had translators that never made it home after a meeting. Translators in some case that were, that were killed or they... Uh, were subject to some kind of violent death where someone would run them off the road and they would find their, their bodies uh, days later out in the, the ditches or, or in the rivers. But the thing that stands out to me the most was the fact that though they had a, a, a change of clothes or two changes of clothes, what they treasured more than anything was that Bible and many of our translators had spent time in prison. We had a young lady named Jane who was, uh, uh, shared her story one night and, and really opened up the, it really just opened up the meetings for God to get a hold of so many people and revival broke out and it was just such a wonderful thing. But Jane uh, was starting her first year of college, age 16. Hey, age 16 college, I mean to tell you, I was probably starting my third year of the 10th grade. I'm not really sure. But, but I want to I say to you that Jane shared that at the age of 16, in her first week at college, someone reported her as having a Bible among her textbooks and her backpack. And sure enough, they, they accosted her, they confiscated her backpack, and as a result, in kind of a kangaroo court type system, she was sentenced to six years in prison. She was released at age 22. We became associated with her about two years later because she spoke both English and, and China, and, and we uh, put her on to several of our teams. But the beautiful thing about Jane was the fact that she found that regardless of the circumstances, persecution, regardless of the, pers uh, of the circumstances, meaning to be in that of prison and, and to be subject to treatment and, and, and to be subject to rejection of, of many of her own uh, there in China, uh, Jane found that you can depend upon uh, the Word of God. And I want to say to you this morning, I, I believe with all my heart that you know, I have learned that the Lord Jesus Christ, He, he is our rock, our refuge. He is a very present help in, in time of trouble. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so regardless of where you are today uh, spiritually or regardless where you are uh, today as far as uh, the news uh, that surrounds you of your circumstances, maybe your health has changed, your marriage has changed, maybe there is turmoil in your life, maybe... 
maybe you find that you're seeking answers and, and you just can't nail it down. Is there a purpose in your life? And, and you find that you're up and down in, in your life and, and you're, you're subject to so much confusion. Well, I want to suggest to you, as Jane uh, taught me, that you can depend upon uh, the Word of God regardless of what you find yourself approaching. And you see the Lord Jesus here. I, I believe that the Lord Jesus really is suggesting to you that you and I, we backed out of our driveway today. Nobody stopped us like they would in China. Many preachers got into their pulpits today to deliver something to their congregation with something, with a message that they could depend on, and yet nobody stopped them. And you see, the Lord Jesus is, is giving this parabolic form, knowing that in a few chapters later, that he was going to voluntarily lay down his life for you and me. And could I say nobody stopped him? But he depended upon the Father. He depended upon the Word. I'm going to give you three things to think about over your lunch. Think about through your work, your, your life today, through your visits. I believe that one thing that I find in the Word of God is that God says that we can depend upon His Word because He executes His work for us to do. Now think about that. Other words, if we couldn't depend on it, why would God allow us to even sow his word? He could find another source. He could do something else to get the message. But he's called upon us as the church, as the body of believers, to get God's word and the seed of God's word into the heart and lives of, of people all about us, all relationships. And I believe that God says, first of all, that we, we are involved in executing His work because it's the very responsibility of the sower. It's a picture that's very common in, uh, in Bible lands where one morning a man gets up and he walks out of the village into the countryside where the fields are. He has a leather bag upon his shoulder and as he goes out into the field, he begins to scatter seed to the right, to the left, all about until the, entire, until the entire fields are covered. He is sowing, if you will. And I believe he scatters that seed, and that is what a, a sower did. My sweet wife, I, I love her because she, she loves to plant gardens. You know, if she counted on LB to, to uh, uh, plant that garden, uh, she would never eat anything because it would die, honestly. I just got a green thumb that is very morbid. You know what I'm saying? So I, I usually help her out. I, I usually go in and I'll take the remote and I'll lean back in the recliner and I'll pray for her out in the hot sun. <laughs> but we have wonderful vegetables and tomatoes and oh, and she does such a good job with, with our roses and all the beautiful flowers in our front. But my wife understands how to cultivate or or how to sow properly as it becomes that of what we would call agriculture today. But God says this morning in church, He does not say that we only have a responsibility, but He says, I'm going to give you the resource as a sower. And He said, if I give that resource to you, number one is I want you to sow it plentifully. 
plentifully. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully, meaning plentifully, church, will also reap bountifully. And not only is he talking plentifully, but I believe he's referring to spreading that seed as a resource. Uh, he wants you to sow it passionately. What are you passionate about today? It's obvious in the beautiful music we had, and, and as Jeff has, has really kind of rendered his talents into young Isaac and, and the ways that these men love God and they, they transmit this wonderful message that God is in control, he's passionate about it. If you're passionate this morning about Dunkin' Donut, you can be my fluffy friend, my friend. <laughs> You know, but my wife, she has been a nurse for 50 years, and she absolutely loves helping people that have medical needs. Now, if you start calling my house, I am the one in charge of the invoices to send to you, okay? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But she's so passionate about it. Some people are passionate for their family. Some people are, are passionate for their children. They're passionate about their job. And God says here that we are to be so passionate about His Word because His Word is that which reaps in the heart of people. And the picture here is, is one that would even sow by watering the seed with His very tears. It's a picture of it. So God says he gives us a responsibility and he gives us that of, of a resource sowing it plentifully, passionately, but he also wants us to sow it patiently. Galatians chapter 6 verse number 9 says, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we not give up. So this morning I say to you, friend, that book you have in your lap, that book you have in your hands this morning, if God's word could not be trusted, he never would have said, here's the task, go and sow it. Number two is this morning I believe that God's word is what we can count on as we execute his work, but also as we exercise his wonder to all. You see, the task is that which uh, 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 he, we provide while the seed is that which is trustworthy. He gives that to us. We do the task, here's the, here is the seed. That is why it's trustworthy, because it belongs to God. You see, the Word of God may seem very small comparatively if you were to go into a library and, and find it next to many, many volumes of books that are extremely large. But I'm going to tell you, friend, you go into a library or you go anywhere and you find the Bible. You go into a hotel room and you find the Gideon Bible. I want to say to you, there's no place or no book on earth that has life in it like the Word of God. At the age of 27, I was introduced to Christ. I was a pillhead. I was a, a, a pothead. I was a drunkard. Had the best thing going for me at home with a wife and three kids. And no, I wanted to choose the losing aspect of, of life. God was able to spare my job on so many occasions. And I remember the night that preacher knocked on my door and he came in and, and he began to impart, reaching into that leather bag, he began to sow that seed 
into the lives of Larry and Pat Bradley. I would have been your last choice to be a preacher. But the Word of God changed me because the Word of God changes lives, it converts, it equips. And I believe that because that it's trustworthy, number one, you come to the understanding that the seed is very precious. I had three little Chinese ladies. I'd say they're about 24, but all of them look like kids. If you've ever been to China, they all look young. But I had these two young translators, and, and one of the things that they, they always feel like they're rewarded for is that when they, when they spend time with our short-term teams, they don't do it for money. They do it really for assisting. We give them clothing. We give a lot of things to them. But their greatest reward is when you tell them that you are going to rename them. Listen to this. A name in the Bible. And we named this one girl several years ago. We named her Faith. F-A-I-T-H. Oh man, she was so endeared to that. And then the other girl, a year later, we named her Hope. I know what you're saying. You're saying, Larry, you're starting to sound really original on this, all right? Well, one last girl came on board. She spent two years translating. And one night in the last meeting, she was just kind of dismayed, if you will, because she was thinking we forgot her name. Now I'm thinking to myself, I'm tired. My brain's been fried from traveling all day, preaching all day. And I thought to myself, Lord, what am I supposed to name her? And it was one of God's boring yawns with me. He says, duh. Faith, hope, what are you going to name her? Guess what I named her? Faith, hope, the greatest of these, faith, hope, and what? Charity. That's what we named her. But you know what these girls all found, church? These girls all found that the Word of God was so precious that someone would even invest in them an opportunity to be named something out of the Word of God. It's precious. 18th century Voltaire was a renowned agnostic philosopher, writer, and poet. But he was an infidel. He was an unbeliever. And, and he once said, 100 years now, from now, there will be no Bibles around. And on, ironically, it says that the very room where he spoke became a distribution center for Bibles to be sent over all the world. On December the 4th, 1933, they gathered all of his works together for sale. And uh, you remember that he was a noted author and a poet and a philosopher. And yet his works sold for, listen to this, 11 cent. Adolf Hitler's car sold for 153 grand. And they said that his work sold for, for some 11 cent. But on that same day, one manuscript of the Bible, the Codex Sinaiticus, was purchased by the Russian government from the British government for $500,000. And my friend this morning, there's over 4,000 manuscripts just in the, Greek, in the Greek New Testament. Now, I can't do that much 
uh, math in this church today because I'm from Mississippi. But I, I want to I say to you, man, that is a lot of dough. The Bible is precious. It was given from heaven. And then the Bible is also that is what I would call powerful this morning. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse number 12, our pastor spoke on this in recent weeks, but it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now something that's very quaint this morning, if you were to take a sword and stick me in the side, for lack of better grammar, it would make me dead. But if you take the sword of the Word of God and you stick it into the heart, it doesn't make you dead, but it makes you alive. Amen? Because it's from heaven. It's God's holy Word. It's powerful enough to change. It has continuity, meaning that it's forever alive. It is eternal, meaning that it never goes away. The Bible is a living book because the personality is not about a fictional character. When we open up this special book, we're brought face to face with the life-giving and life-living Jesus himself. When we read about him, he steps off the pages into our hearts and our lives. The written word introduces us to the living word because it is all about the word of God. And that's why I say this morning, you can depend on it. It's precious, it's powerful, but it's also productive. It is productive this morning means that it continues to reap and it continues to cultivate. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse number 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Sometimes I read these uh, things about the different soils and I hope I did it justice this morning. But the amazing thing is that sower goes out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. Other versions will say the wayside. But it's really talking about the non-connected heart. It means a heart that is unresponsive to the Word. But the idea here is that the seed was sown, but feet of the walking down the path of life has stomped the, the Word into the ground. And you see, there are people today, it may have been months or years since they've read their Bible, months or years since they even go to church, and they are not even moved or stirred or even changed about the things of life. But then there's the non-cultivated heart. That's where it appears that they have responded to God's Word but they seem to lose their fire very quickly. They come on like gangbusters. They're thrilled about the church. They're like Roman candles. They blaze brightly for about a month, and then they fizzle out. And the problem is, is that the soil that it was planted in, in their heart, that they have no particular root to the seed. They sprout up quickly, but the sun comes out. Afflictions, tribulations, pressures, and persecution for the word's sake, and their commitment begins to dissipate. Then there's the non-committed heart. 
It says that the seed fell among thorns. Have you ever witnessed to someone or tried to reach someone in your travels that you knew that one of the greatest heartaches in their life is they were so connected to the things of this world that you didn't think that you could ever get them to a, to a place where that they would be open to what their greatest need is. He said the thorny seed, the cares of the world. They want to hold on to Christ with one hand and on to the world with the other hand. And then the thorns begin to choke out which is best for them. And that is the word. But then there is the comprehensive heart. That's where the light goes on. That's where you, your heart says, oh, I get it. I, I really get this. You see, at the age of 27, when that Bible was open, I found myself thinking about a few things. That preacher kept saying, Larry, Jesus loves you in spite of your alcoholic condition. And you know what? Not having a father figure in my life, I thought to myself, he loves me? Why would he love me? And I found, my friend, that he loved me because he loves all, and he gave the greatest for all. Every teenager in this room this morning, every young person in this room, every single age, every person in this room that might be married, widowed, or whatever, he loves you. Greatest love story that will never change. There's times I say into my, I go into my office and I'll have my devotions and, and I, I, I usually always will, will say to the Lord, Lord, I am so grateful today that I am forgiven. I am loved. I am crucified with Christ. I am on my way to heaven. I am justified. I am quickened by the Holy Spirit. And I am in love with you and you are in love with me. And I am also in love with my wife that you gave to me. And if the whole world was to fall apart today, I know one thing, Jesus still loves me. Amen? Even if you don't this morning, it's your loss. Amen? <laughs> I'm kidding. But Jesus loves me. That's that comprehensive heart. It's a good ground. You hear the word and you understand it and then it bears fruit. You can depend on it. Because he says, execute my work, exemplify my wonder. And then finally he says, I mean he says, exercise my wonder. And then finally he says, exemplify his will in you. There's four things I believe about God's will. Number one, as I believe that God's will can only be discerned by what is written in the Word. God is not going to call you to do anything that He doesn't endorse in the Word. Number two is I believe that then it is supported or agreed with by the Holy Spirit of God. Thirdly is I believe that it has to be pursued in a spirit of prayer 
Are you with me, church? And then fourthly, listen, this is where most of us mess up. The fourth thing, you make sure it's the peace of God and not your peace that you say, I'm going to move away, I'm going to start a business, and you go out in Timbuktu and you find that there's not a church around. I got friends who did that. They called me and they said, Brother Larry, you know, we thought this was of God, and you know what? They never, ever checked it out. How are they going to continue to grow spiritually? And you know what I told them? I said, the will of God is never predicated on the realty market. Amen? All right, you don't amen. I'm going to let you out of here about 1.30, okay? <laughs> amen. So listen to me, friend. It exemplifies His will, number one, is because you depend on it for life's most important decision, and that is salvation. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9 says very simply, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. If you're here this morning and you're unsure of where you would go before you uh, pass from this life, my friend, I'm going to tell you something. God's Word has already got you covered. God's Word gives you an opportunity this morning that you can come and somebody trained can show you in the Bible how that you also can endear yourself to that message of the love of God, that message of the grace of God. Salvation requires His grace. It reflects His grace. It also, my friend, is that which also uh, uh, is the design for all ages. It's God's work in you. The second thing about God's will is you depend on it for life's challenges, security. I've had the privilege the last few years to teach um, Grief Share. Now, Grief Share is a support work, uh, a, a support group for those that have lost friends, loved ones, family members. And what I must do with my workers is I have to take time in cultivating the first three weeks of getting them to understand that you don't have to live in grief. You've got to choose to move from your grief to the healing side of grief, and that's the Lord Jesus himself. I had a lady years ago, her name was Ethel, I'll never forget. I was preaching in a meeting, and she came to me and the next night, and she said, you know, Pastor Larry, you said something last night. You said, you don't have to keep going out to the graveside to grieve the one that was that has left you. And you also said, even though that you cannot communicate with the dead, you, you just said, why don't you just pray a prayer there at the grave and said, you know, honey, I'm not coming back. God's got a purpose for me. I'll see you in glory, and I've got to move on to the next chapter. You know that lady stood before the church and shared that, and to my knowledge, before her home going, she shared that the Word of God was so deep in her life at that meeting that she never, ever went back out to the graveside of her husband that she grieved for some six years of her life. Security. What if your health changes tomorrow? Does it mean God died? No. It means that 
God's word permits you now to seek because you have security. And then I believe you depend on it when you're seeking answers. And you depend on it if everyone or everything has let you down. I had a good friend back in, well, I still am his friend, but he lives down in Atlanta, Georgia. God bless him. You have to have a passport to go to Georgia anymore. But, uh, <laughs> but I remember that we were praying about a, a, a planning a church out in a place called Lebanon, uh, Tennessee. And so we had a pastor and his wife that had come up from Fort Lauderdale. And, and while, we were, while we were there praying and planning, we got a call of that my friend and his wife had faced the ultimate of trials. My friend was washing his uh, SUV and... Uh, and his little guy, three years old, as he was backing up, he stepped to the back of the car and fuller run over his only boy of the family. And for the life of me, church, I thought it was going to be the end of a man of faith that I had endeared myself for for so long from a wonderful family. God was able to take that man from where he was and put him on a new map of life that he could tell the stories throughout the churches of how the word was there to comfort him in his greatest time of need. I got a million stories. My staff, our staff can tell you that, but I want to tell you this story. I had the privilege a few years ago uh, preaching with a... A, a woman that she uh, she was a missionary, a single missionary, and uh, she was up near her sixties uh, or so, and and she had labored in this very uh, uh, rustic, primitive uh, island, and she was winning barbaric people to the Lord, and she was discipling them. But her greatest passion was that she would be able to translate God's word into their language. That's all she wanted to do. And she said it took some 26 years of laboring. And the day came, she said she heard something going on on the island that sounded like that there was some kind of excitement. And she said she stepped out on the porch of her hut and she saw the native boys running through the villages with their bicycles and their scooters. And on the back of those scooters and those bicycles, there was like a, an encased box. It was like a, a, a case of Bibles. And she summoned one to come over to the porch and, and, and she, she talked to him in the language and she said, what is this? She and he looked at, looked at her and said, uh, uh, Lansko, it's the word of God. And she didn't realize that the translation was complete. And she said, run, run my friends, run my children and tell the whole island. And them boys are running and they're riding and they're 
doing their scooters through the island, and this is what they're saying, church. The Word of God is here. The Word of God is here. The Word of God is here. She has since retired, but these people have God's Word in their own language. And the work of God perpetuates. So if you've heard nothing else today, I want to I say to you that Jesus says, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. That Bible should be your very best friend. Because God says that he wants to execute his work. He wants to exercise his wonder to all mankind. But he wants to exemplify his will in your life. the Bible, God's holy word, you can depend on it. Let's bow our heads together.